especially when you can touch on what you learned from an experience mm -hmm. and how you're operating differently in the future because of it. Because, you know, I hear a ton, you see this all over LinkedIn and everywhere, like, oh, we're crushing it, we're killing it, everything's great. And just running a business, you know that it's not always true for every single business owner. And so you know. This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder at Imagine Ovation. My wonderful guest with me here today is the co-founder and CEO of Influence & Co., which is an award-winning Inc. 5000 company and one of the leading content mar marketing agencies in the market. Starting her entrepreneurial journey at a very young age, she has been able to bootstrap her way to building a company with over 50 full-time employees and working with Fortune 500s by helping them with their content marketing strategies and execution, generating business results. She has also been featured as a Forbes 30 under 30 in marketing and advertising, and EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, Columbia Business Times 20 Under 40, and SBA of Missouri's Small Business Person of the Year. Please welcome Kelsey Raymond. Kelsey, I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was such such a generous intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> my, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's well-deserved. I, uh, I can't imagine the, the work that you put into you know, to uh, get to this, this place in your life right now. And I know we, we, all of us have this, you know, aspiring dreams and goals that we want to reach. It's never, ever done right. It's a journey. It's a process, yeah. right? But, um, you know, from just everything I've read about you and, and learning about you and your company, I mean, you've reached, you've done a, a lot of amazing things. So um, congratulations. And, and uh, you know, I'm really glad that you're here today. So I can I talk about your story here. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So Kelsey, you know, just starting off, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and um, your story and how you got to where you are today? I know you started the, you know, entrepreneurial journey pretty young. Is that right? Yeah, I think I definitely have a unique journey to entrepreneurship. Um, you mentioned starting young. My mom likes to joke that I probably drove my neighbors crazy because I was always at their door trying to sell them something. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing I ever did was borrow rocks from my neighbor's yard, paint them, and then sell those rocks right back to them. Um, and then I started a neighborhood newsletter when I was around 10 years old. So there was lots of early things, um, but really my entrepreneurial journey truly began when I was a student at the University of Missouri or Mizzou. Um, I joined the Entrepreneurship Alliance there, which was just a great opportunity to learn from other business owners. And basically it was a club where every week a business owner would come and really talk to us like this, tell us about their story, the struggles they had. And I was obsessed. I wanted to learn everything that I could. Um, podcasts weren't as big back then. So that was, that was how I was feeding my seeking knowledge. Um, and so from there, I actually launched a marketing company while I was in school with my best friend. Um, the idea for the company was her idea. I actually just helped execute it. And that is a trend of each of the companies that I've started that I am not the big idea, big visionary person. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been the person who says, 
that's a great idea. Let's run with it. And I really enjoy the execution side. Um, so started a small company in college, ended up selling it to a couple other students because it didn't make sense for us to run it after graduating. Then I helped launch a co-working space and event venue. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was it was a real that was a really interesting time because it was in 2010, 2011. Um, and co-working was not incredibly mainstream at that point, but especially not in Columbia, Missouri. So in a smaller Columbia is about 150,000 people. No one knew what co-working was. So when I was trying to pitch this of, oh, you'll come to this building, you don't have an office, you kind of have a desk, but you can't leave anything there. It's just you can come and sit there when you want. Um, it was an interesting sales pitch. So I helped get, helped get that off the ground. And then um, right when we were starting that, the individual who um, had really launched the co-working space, his name's Brent, he came to me with this idea for what would ultimately become Influence & Co. So that was another situation where it was not my idea, but Brent didn't have time to focus on it and run with it. And I said, let, let me see if this has legs. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately it did. And nine years later, here we are. So my journey was you know, being surrounded by a lot of smart people and really figuring out how we could actually execute on the great ideas that they had. That's great. And when did you say Influence & Co started again? Was it? May of 2011. 2011, wow. And it was 100% bootstrapped, right? Um, so it was a unique way of starting it in that um, I did not have any funds. I was 22 when we started it. Um, Brent, though, who was the other partner in it, um, he had some money to invest in it starting out. So we did not raise capital from anyone else or get a bank loan, but Brent, through his other businesses, had some capital to get us started. Um, so it was kind of a, a unique model in that way. So throughout starting the company, and then I recruited another co-founder, um, it's a great guy named John. Mm -hmm. But throughout oh, John that, yeah, yeah did you know John? John? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you do. Who doesn't yeah. know John? Um, so throughout that, you know, for the first seven years of the company, John and I were running the company, but Adventures, which was Brent's company, was ultimately the owner. So John and I had kind of a unique um, situation. And then in October of 2018, I bought out Adventures' interest in the company. So that was the first time I did have to go out and get a loan and went through the SBA process. Um, so it was a, an interesting path, not only to entrepreneurship, but then also to actually becoming the majority owner of the company that I had helped start. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, for in my opinion, just because I definitely know the whole world of bootstrapping, it's, it's yeah. tough. We, we, I think you get it, right? But for listening to your story, it definitely seems like you bootstrapped. Yeah, you got some help from another, you know, the previous co-founder, but you bootstrapped your way to getting to this place. And then now you're the CEO, right? And you bought out the, the other owners and yep. now you're building it. Um, you know, we all know bootstrapping is really tough. Yep. Were there any key elements or any anything that you did in particular that really helped your bootstrapping process? Yep. Did you just continuously market yourselves to become leaders in your space because you guys are essentially leaders in the space i mean it's crazy before um you know before uh, i was doing research on, on you and all that stuff i've, I've heard of you guys even i, I think years back so oh, that's good to hear yeah, it yes cool. we definitely did and you know we used a lot of our own services and we still do which is 
great because it's authentic to if we're telling other people that this is going to help you grow your brand and grow your business, mm. we better be able to do it for ourselves. Um, so that's been a big part of how we've grown. But I think something early on that we did that was somewhat unique to the agency model is that we hired a sales team or we hired one full-time salesperson within the first 18 months of the business. And I've talked to a lot of other agency owners who their model is the people managing clients and working with clients also do business development. And we just didn't do it that way, honestly, because John and I didn't come from the agency background. So we didn't know that was the way it had always been done. So we said, if we're going to grow and we need to grow in order to bootstrap because we need to continuously have revenue coming in to grow, um, then we need to hire a full-time salesperson. And I think that was really key to our success because it allowed the people working on clients to stay laser focused on how do we deliver for clients and not have that split focus. You know, it's funny that you say that, Kelsey, because I've I've come across a lot of companies, um, you know, we've worked with startups to much larger companies, but especially in the agency world, right? Mm -hmm. You get shifted all over the place. You being an owner and, and right, you're yep. all over. You're just like, you have to look at the operations, the finances, yep. the sales, the marketing, then the day-to-day -day yep. stuff, right? So it's so hard to have that mental shift continuously. It's almost like it can kind of, it can kind of cause sometimes, um, I don't want to say mental health, but people who can't handle it right, they do struggle with mental health because they, they're all over the place. So it's good that you it's good that you uh, found a, something early to tackle, which was which was sales and say, hey, John, um, you know, we need to hire a full time salesperson or people to really help us because we're we, we don't want to dilute the energy and focus from our other employees. So that's yep. good that you recognize that quickly. That's vital. And that's been so key, I think, to our success over the years. So another role that we hired for when we were probably, I think, about 20 to 25 employees, we hired a full-time HR person. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think a lot of you know CEOs wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, that was the thing that catapulted our growth. But for us, it did, because yeah. when we hired Courtney, she was able to take away all of these things off of my plate that were the constant little fires that you were needing to put out and the constant, you know, we have to figure out insurance again and work on this brokerage and all these different things that as the CEO or the COO, if you really need to be focused on growth, things like HR and running payroll can just drain so much of your mm -hmm. time. I know it's so difficult sometimes, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm actually really happy that you mentioned HR. I think this is going to provide a lot of value to the audience. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're all doing so many different things. And yeah. sometimes you have to look, actually, I think more than sometimes a lot of the, the time in business, you have to think very macro and not micro. And I know mm -hmm. sometimes we we're so stuck in the day to day, right? How to close the next deal, how to nurture the next yeah. customer. Uh, what's the next article we have to write and all these different things, right? But we have to delegate, delegate the work accordingly to our people that we trust. So I think yep. hiring people is essential to, to growing and scaling a company. And that's what I was going to ask you actually. My next question was, what were some of the additional things that you did, um, mm -hmm. you and your team did to scale the company to over 50 people? And, and sometimes I think when you, especially for smaller businesses, um, there's this plateau that you hit of like two or 3 million. And it's sometimes very hard to, to yep. exceed that. So 
what did you guys do differently to scale yeah. you know, operationally and even financially um, in, in the industry? Yeah. So first financially, so on the revenue side, that is so true. There's certain plateaus that you hit that it's like what was working before isn't working now. Mm -hmm. And so for us, you know, the first thing we did obviously was hire a full-time salesperson. It wasn't until maybe a year or two later that we said, we also need an in-house marketing team. So we had had a couple people kind of doing some marketing for us and we were using our own services, but not at the scale that we needed to. So when we started actually putting together this inbound machine and this funnel, now, you know, six years later, about 80% of our new revenue comes from people who find us through our website because they read an article or listened to us on a podcast or they were Googling something about content marketing and found us through organic search. So seeing that we made investments early on in creating that whole inbound funnel, we're still getting leads now from articles that we wrote in 2013. So that's been one of those things that like it compounds on itself over time. Um, another thing on the revenue side was it's like a getting, trickle effect. It's like a trickle effect. It just keeps coming as yep. you put up more content. Yeah. It's so it's exciting to me when I see leads that come from articles so long ago. <laughs> we had one the other day that she referred to me as Kelsey Meyer. And I was like, where did she get that? And then I realized, oh, the article she read was written before I was married and I had a different last name. Mm -hmm. So that just kind of made me realize how long ago some of this content was written. Um, but the other thing that we did on the revenue side to catapult that growth is get a lot more intentional about asking our clients for referrals and reaching out to our partners because we would hear all the time, you guys are doing great work. We love working with you. But sometimes people just aren't, it's not top of their mind to refer you to someone else. So we just started getting a little bit more templated and strategic about making those asks. And now a big percentage of our new revenue comes from client referrals as well, which is great. Um, on the operational side, that's where I think scaling is harder. Like to me, finding new business revenue, we've been able to do that. Scaling from 10 people to 30 people to 50 people, there's always these kind of points where you realize what was working before isn't working now. So the first one for us, I would say, was in 2015, our team was structured into silos. So we had an account management team and a content strategy team and an editing team, and they weren't all working on the same groups of clients. It was just creating tension that didn't need to be there and it was slowing things down. So we completely restructured our entire team, moved people into account teams where there's three to five people working on a group of clients together. Five years later, we look at that and we're like, how did we ever survive in that former structure? So, you know, being willing to kind of completely break apart how your team is structured at different points, and then also for us, scaling communication has been really important to, you know, what different tools are we using? So we use 15.5, which is a really quick reporting tool on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. um, now we send out a weekly email every Wednesday that has updates from every single department head. We do, you know, Zoom Q&As with the team now that we're virtual. So just really as we've scaled, thinking of all the different ways we're communicating with the team is so important. Mm -hmm. And going back to your sales process, do yeah. you have more of an automated machine? I know a lot of the inbound leads are coming in from Google, let's just say, for example. 
um, and they're converting on your website, right? Uh, and once you get those leads, yeah. what do you do with them? How, how do you yeah. guys, I know automation are prob probably is a piece of it, but you add the human element to it, right? I think adding the human element is the most important part. So, you know, we're not selling widgets. So someone's not just gonna come to our website and click buy. It is, there needs to be some level of consultation and some level of us figuring out what are their needs and how can we best service them. So when someone comes to our website, let's say they fill out a contact form. That contact form then goes to this wonderful woman on our team, Cherish, and Cherish reads it and makes sure, okay, this does look like someone that would be a qualified lead. If they're not, if they're asking for a service we don't provide, she just emails them back and direct points them in a different direction. But if it does look like they're looking for something that we provide, she sends a customized email back to them. So the automation part comes in when, you know, if they don't respond, Cherish has kind of a sequence of emails that go out to them or, right. If they just fill out, um, download something, but don't fill out a contact form, they'll get put on an automated email list. So there's kind of, there's two different ways, but when someone is filling out a contact form, they're getting a customized email from Cherish. Then we also use automation. We use HubSpot's platform. That's so what we that, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. so you, you know all of this. So for your listeners, the viewers, um, with HubSpot's platform, they have a feature where you can qualify people over time. So for us, we've set up rules where if they read, you know, four blog posts or if they open the emails this many times, it's a signal to us that this person is engaged with our content. They are reading more, wanting to know more. So once they hit a certain threshold of points, it sends Cherish a notification that this person is ready for you to reach out with a customized message. So then again, she does some research and she emails them trying to get on a phone call, but it's all customized to their company, what they've read on our site. It's using that human element a lot more. Wow, this advice is awesome. This is going to help, uh, Kelsey, this is going to help so many people. I think there, there's, we're in this era right now where automation is definitely important. You yep. know, there's a lot of AI out there and it's actually even, it's increasing, right? And, and there's just, the technology is evolving. It's, it's expanding. It's increasing. It's quite honestly, it's very hard to keep up with it. There's just yeah. so much going on right now, right? It's almost becoming very, it's very saturated, very cluttered. So sometimes it's, it's creating more chaos than actually streamlining processes and, and, and making it easier for us, right? Because there's so almost too many choices. Um, but the advice that you've, that you've given just now, I think is going to help a lot of people because you're connecting uh, the, the human aspect of sales and marketing to the automation piece. I think automation can help a lot of us in terms of, you know, some of that work, the, the, a little bit of the grunt work instead of yeah. following up, right? You can send these little personalized emails, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to, you can never stop being human. Exactly. Right? You have to continuously add that and show them that you're interested and yep. it's good that you added, you know, you talked about that during the entire sales process and that's great. And you guys do discoveries too, right? That's pretty yes. much, that's something that we do. Like it helps to vet the, you know, the understand and, and plan yes. for the project. Is that something yep. you guys do as well? 
Yes. So once someone has responded to Cherish and says, you know, yeah, I'm open to a call, she sets up a call with someone on our sales team. So it's also interesting. We have the roles pretty segmented because Cherish is great at that part. And our salespeople are great at being on the phone. So having people operate in their strength areas, um, but we always do a discovery conversation first to really understand what are their goals and can they be accomplished through content marketing? And a big part of that is we're wanting to understand what other elements are they already doing? So do they have a sales team? Do they have a marketing automation software that we can tap into to make sure we're tracking the success of all of this content? Um, so really making sure are they, are they primed to be able to actually get great results from content marketing? And our sales process normally involves three or even four different calls. And part of that is that we know that the clients that stick with us for years and years are the ones where we go deep into discovery and expectations during the sales process so that once they're bought in, we all are on the exact same page of what we can accomplish together. And if we have a client who we have one 20 minute call with and they're like, cool, send me a contract. That's when things fall apart during the working together as clients because we didn't take the time to truly get on that same page from the beginning. So I think we might frustrate some leads when we're like, let's have another call, but it's worked out well for us in the long run. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to content, we'll jump to content a little bit. I yeah. love talking about content marketing. Um, with content, let's just discuss more of what you guys offer, right? Thought leadership, yeah. writing yeah. for top third party publications, right? Um, for, for example, yeah. uh, what we've done in my company, like we write for, uh, you know, I, I contribute to, to Forbes and to, um, you know, Entrepreneur Magazine and all of that. What, how do you guys drive business results from um, allowing your customers or getting your customers to become authors on those platforms? How does that process work for you guys? Yeah. So with our clients, you know, a lot of them have different goals. So some, their goal might be straight lead generation. Like how do I get more people to come to my website, fill out a contact form. Others might be that they already have a great funnel on their site. They need more people to find them through organic search. So how is all of this affecting their SEO? Others might be that they're actually not really converting that many people from on their website. So they need these articles to more be used for sales enablement. So when we get an article published, their sales team then uses that in their outreach to kind of have a reason to reach out to someone to say, hey, we thought you might be interested in this article that our CEO wrote. So depending on kind of which of those or maybe all three are their goals, we devise a strategy. Um, but a big thing that we've, we've realized and we've talked to clients about now is you're never going to see results from just the offsite content. So if a client comes to us and says, I have one of these goals, I just want to focus in two articles a month in top tier publications. Great. We can do that, but you're not going to see the results that you want because it really is a more comprehensive strategy. Because if somebody reads one article from you in Forbes, they're probably going to come to your website. If you don't have any blog content or you have no way for them to give right. you their contact information or you don't have an email nurture campaign. So all of those things have to be working in conjunction in order to actually see new leads or new sales driven from it. 
Yeah, and I think it's good for uh, many of the listeners and viewers to know that there are two huge elements in, in SEO, right? It's mm -hmm. on-page and off-page. Yep. I think you know, being you being in, in content and SEO for a long time, um, you probably have had some interaction with people and even clients that say, oh, I just want to blog on the website. That's just not going to do it. Or just to optimize the keywords on the website, right? You got to do everything and you got to do it consistently. Yes. Right? So I'm sure you guys do. Do you guys do a lot of the um, on-site SEO, the technical SEO, or, or just more the content, the creative pieces? Yeah, we do both. So any client that comes to us with SEO being a goal, we start with a technical audit because unfortunately what we've seen is that we had some clients where we could be creating the best on-site and off-site content in the world, but if they had some major issues with their site from a technical standpoint that was affecting the ability for their site to be crawled or their load time, then all of our work was not going to be super effective. Um, so we do a technical audit, then we do keyword research, we do reporting on a quarterly basis. Um, and now ultimately, even if SEO is not the main priority, SEO matters for 99% of our clients. So it's always involved to some extent in the strategy. Do you, when do you start to actually see results? So if you sign, let's just say you sign a big client. Um, actually, I would say let's do a more of a, a startup. Okay. okay. Work with a startup. Because I, I was going to say maybe like Nestle, but they're already branded. They're already considered yeah. a brand from yeah. Google, right? But more of a startup. How long would it take you after your discovery, after your strategy, um, and when you start to execute, when would you start, when would they start to actually see results from Google and from, from digital media? Yeah. So on the SEO side, there are so many different things that could affect that depending on the industry. I, I don't want to be tied to any specific number, but I would say okay. we would never tell them less than six months exactly. because you had need to get a specific consistency of content coming out. Now we have clients that in the first quarterly report, we're seeing huge spikes in traffic, but that would be the anomaly because they're, we just, you, you need time for those things to actually make changes. Now on the, on the side of, you know, if they're using this content in sales enablement, for example, we've had clients where we produce the first few pieces of content, their sales team are using that to reach out to their network and they're getting on more calls right away. So depending on how you're using the content and what your goals are, it might be those first couple pieces of content are incredibly valuable or in our experience, at least with setting up Influence and Coast Funnel, you know, it took a year before we were really seeing just this consistent flow of leads. Um, and we tell clients that, that you do not expect if you're doing a full inbound marketing campaign, don't expect this to happen overnight. But the exciting part is the money you're investing now, like I said, we see leads from six years ago still coming through our website. So it really builds on itself over time. Kelsey, you're a hundred percent right. And it, it's funny that you say this because uh, we're actually a really get, we're a really great case study. Cause we've oh, done yeah? exactly, oh yeah, we've done exactly that. You know, me and my marketing team, we've basically written hundreds of pieces of content. We've written yep. probably over the last nine years, probably written over 2000 blogs on the website. Mm -hmm. um, you know, write one article per week. Uh, and then we con contribute to a lot of third party yep. publications, optimize our website. 
And with all of that, and with a lot of consistency, your rankings, they do go up over time. Timeframes are very difficult to say yeah. because it, it, it depends on the keywords you're tackling, the yeah. competition, the, 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 the location. There's yeah. a lot of yeah. different factors, but what you guys are doing is awesome. Like you're exactly right. I mean, inbound right now is the most, in my opinion, I know your opinion, it's the most powerful funnel. I know I've interacted with some companies that they're like, oh, we're making sales calls, 200 calls a day. I'm just like, no, like that's such a grind. Yeah. To make 200, 300 calls a day. Like you guys should be putting all of that effort in creating yep. content. And I, I would talk to them. I and when people that. come to you. Yes. 100%. <laughs> And well, one, one thing that we're seeing is so interesting right now is um, obviously because of COVID, a lot of conferences and events have been canceled. And so we have some people coming to us and saying, hey, you know, we have a $50,000 budget that we were going to spend on a trade show, a booth at this one conference. What can you do with that? And we're like, we can do so much and we can actually show you results. <laughs> so I think that I'm excited to see potentially a result of, you know, all these conferences being canceled is some people seeing those marketing dollars shifting more to digital where you can see more of an actual result. Um, so we've, we've been excited to work with, with some companies that were like, oh, you have no idea how much money you were wasting on the event side of things. Let's give you a machine that actually works. Have you seen any, um, anything happen with LinkedIn in regards to lead generation? Do you think LinkedIn is, is pretty powerful? I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Yeah. Um, so I kind of two different sides of it. Um, I have a friend that runs a company called Linked Selling and he is much more of an expert in this. You should have him on, his name's Josh Turner. Um, yeah. But he's much more of an expert um, on this than I am, but his company and we've used them, we've been clients of theirs a couple times um, to actually do like outreach into people's inboxes. And what we've seen there is that again, just a cold, you know, a cold no, a cold outreach, not great, but if you're sharing some piece of content that you've created, some you know report, white paper, study, that those had better success for us. The way that we use LinkedIn now is um, all the articles that I'm writing for our blog, that we're doing guest contributed articles, we republish them on LinkedIn with obviously a link and denoting where it was originally published. Um, and we've seen some success from that. So some traffic back to our site, some leads converting. Um, but I don't think we've been as strategic and used it to its full benefit. Um, so I'm curious, is that a strategy that you guys are using? Uh, I would say it's been almost the same. You know, okay. we use, uh, we're using a tool now and, uh, you know, this I think can provide a lot of value as well. Uh, it's called Meet Alfred. It's pretty cool. Okay. So you can create different campaigns um, where you can basically, so we'll create something, for example, um, we've worked with a lot of construction companies, okay? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, a lot of them, they need digital transformation and applications yeah. and, and all that. So what we would do is, uh, this tool actually will target, you set up your targeting on Sales Navigator, it connects with Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, and it'll basically, um, it's, a, it's a desktop application that's always running, and it connects with these people very strategically. Like LinkedIn, you've got to be very, very careful because it can actually uh, ban you if you, oh, yep. if you try to connect with Over you know, 100, yeah. 200 people a day or whatever it may be. I mean, you, you might, you're going to get an email and be like, you're you can't use LinkedIn for six months or like, oh, just wow. be like no, 
But um, yeah, so it's very careful. Yeah, exactly. None of us want that. But um, it's, a, it's a really cool tool, Meet Alfred. And it basically, uh, you target your audience. Marketing is all about targeting, right? So you target the right audience. Let's just say directors of IT in const for construction companies, mm -hmm. okay? or CMOs of construction yeah. companies. Uh, so I'll connect, you know, I'll connect with them through this tool. And you write your own emails, template emails, and just be very, very um, personable. Don't ask for anything. We just try to give, give, give. It's all about serving, 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 giving, giving. So we'll, we have articles that relate to, let's just say, um, top digital transformation trends in the construction sector. Yeah. Right. So we'll put that article into, the, um, into that um, uh, direct message after, yeah. we, after they, they've accepted my request. And then they'll just say, thank you, Michael. We really appreciate yeah. that. And then when I start putting, posting um, content myself, like personal branding content yeah. about just business advice, inspiration, different, I put videos and I usually put one post per day on LinkedIn. And um, then they start to see your content. But have we seen direct results leads from it? No, I, I think we only just started that process maybe a month and a half, two months yeah. ago. So it just takes time. You just got to be consistent. Well, I think that what you said, I, I completely agree with on yeah. the give, give, give. And that's what we really talk to our clients about is that content marketing should be the giving type of marketing. We are not going to work with clients on just creating super promotional content. And one of those reasons is that the publications we're pitching it to will not publish it. So if we try to pitch you know, an editor at Ad Age on our client's article, like why you should hire this agency. There's no chance. But if it is something where they're educating and they're giving back to their audience, people appreciate that and that builds trust. And so that is, we're definitely on the same page that like being giving in your marketing is the best thing you can do to build trust over time. It really is, Kelsey, you're spot on. It's, uh, we call it, actually, I call it the give back approach and Google, Google actually recognizes that you have to serve your community and your audience, yep. right? And this is what you guys do. And I think that's a probably, if not the most important aspect of increasing your rankings. And it's not even just that, like you listen to guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, we all know him, right? Yep. All these thought leaders, they talk about giving and serving your community without always expecting something in return, yep. but you will get something in return because yep. you're giving to people. Yep. And they're going to remember you and you're going to build trust and thought yep. leadership and credibility in the market. So it's just, uh, and I think yeah. that now with everything going on with COVID, like that's even more important. And that was something that we saw, you know, when we had clients at the beginning of all of this, when every, all the shit was kind of hitting the fan, mm -hmm. we had clients come to us and say, I'm sorry, but we've been told by our CFO, we need to cut all marketing spend. Oh, and <laughs> the worst decision you can make to cut it's your hard marketing. hard for us to hear, but you know, to some of those clients, we said, you've been great partners. We'll, we'll keep doing work for you for a couple months. You don't have to pay us. We're going to keep doing work. We'll just push this payment a couple months down the road because we know that this is what you need. And we know that when you're in a better spot, you'll come back to us. And they did. They've come back and they've even grown their accounts with us. So for us, like seeing that in that moment, you know, we could have pulled out the contract and said, well, actually, you have to pay us for this many more months being giving really had a better return for us. That's so important that you said that, you know, I, I know a lot of us right now we're struggling. We're, we're thinking almost, uh, we're going back to the micro thinking, right? We're like, Oh no, you know, some of our clients have stopped yeah. work or some of the leads haven't moved forward They're you know, because all, all the craziness yeah. going on right now, but 
you guys are thinking very macro and this, this is proven your success is being proven and you guys are going to continue to grow because you're thinking long term, right? Mm -hmm. You just said that you push back some payments mm -hmm. with, you know, for clients. Yeah. Um, and when they start making money again, you best believe that they're going to work with you immediately because they're like, you know what, Kelsey and her team, I mean, they, they work with us when we were really struggling. Yeah. You know? They're yeah. our number one. They're going to be a priority for us when we start to get our budget in place and start making more money. And we've already seen some of that, which is so, it's just reassuring that you can actually have trust, you know, put your faith in people sometimes. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's great advice. So if we, uh, I, I know we've, in the beginning, we talked a little bit about storytelling, right? You know, I love storytelling. This is a special topic for me. And uh, this is the whole basis of, of Tales from the Pros. How have you guys used storytelling for your own personal branding, your company branding, as well as um, the thought leadership, the uh, creative pieces that you're developing yeah. for your clients. Yeah, I'm sure you guys use a lot of storytelling. We do. And part of that is, I think, you know, the best stories come from personal experiences. So anything we can do, and you'll see if you read our blog, a lot of the content that we're creating is using ourselves as case studies. So saying, you know, how did we improve our search rankings? But it's not just here's the stats. It's here's how we were feeling. Here's the challenges we were facing and here's what we talked about as a group and kind of, you know, we, we came up with this great idea and here's how it works. So kind of telling those narratives, you can incorporate even, you know, storytelling elements into something as dry as SEO results. Um, and then with our clients, it's so much fun to really interview them and pull some of those stories out. Because we have some clients that, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't know how we're going to make this really boring industry interesting. And we're always like, ooh, that's our favorite thing to do. Um, so realizing that every person has a story, um, it's just about asking the right questions. And so we are in Columbia, Missouri, home to the University of Missouri's journalism program, which is one of the top programs in the country. So we've hired a lot of people out of that program, hired a lot of former journalists. And they're fantastic at storytelling and they know how to ask those right questions. So that's been something that I think has really been key in writing some great content with our clients. It really is about the emotional piece, isn't it? Right. Because I see, I think you see a lot of content and websites or we've seen before that they're very black and white. Yep. Right. They, they're, they, you know, you can almost feel it when you're reading the content, you, you're like, okay, they're just trying to pitch me. They're, they're trying to sell me, right? This is not providing a lot of value to me. Like, cool, all right, there's a little bit of information, statistics and all of that, but this is not really serving me, right? Yep. So storytelling is so important because you have to add that emotional element. And we talked about human, humanization in business, right? As part yep. of sales, same thing with marketing. Storytelling, add that uh, emotional, uh, yep. personal element to these pieces that, you're, that you and your team are writing. We and, have seen, and that's going to touch people, right? That's going to touch their hearts, essentially. We have seen the best results from when, for our own content or with clients, people are willing to get really vulnerable. So mm -hmm. an article that I wrote earlier this year was about learning to say no and kind of the, the situation that I was in that was forcing me to have that learning is I was really sick throughout my pregnancy. And so this article, I just laid it out there. I'm like, awesome. I was 
walking into the office throwing up. I was sick every single day. And it was emotional, honestly, just working with the marketing team and writing it. But the number of messages and notes that I've had from people, you know, people that I know, people I don't know, people connected with it because it was honest and it was vulnerable. And so that's really what we're trying to get clients to do more is like, tell us about the rough times. People can read about business success all they want, but they learn from the rough times. So let's try to dig into that more. Oh, that's so cool. I love to hear it. This is, uh, I, I have so much passion around this topic. I, I love it. I, I think, I think we definitely need to be more vulnerable and I, I think brands need to be more vulnerable. I, I know that a lot of us, Kelsey, and you can, I'm sure you can vouch for this, right? That we're afraid yeah. to present the challenges that we've, we've experienced. Yeah. Right? Um, it's hard to overcome that fear and let it go and, you know, recognize and let it go and say, you know, me and my company experienced this yeah. and we're better for it. You know, yeah. or we're still going through it. No one's going to make fun of you. And if they do, or they try to bully you on yeah. LinkedIn or all these platforms, cool. At least you're getting attention. <laughs> you know, attention is good. Right. But most people won't do that. They're going to very, they're going to, they're going to build trust with you and they're going to actually, if anything, they're, it's going to resonate with them. Especially when you can touch on what you learned from an experience mm -hmm. and how you're operating differently in the future because of it. Because, you know, I hear a ton, you see this all over LinkedIn and everywhere. Like, oh, we're crushing it. We're killing it. Everything's great. And just running a business, you know that it's not always true for every single business owner. And so you know when that's all you ever see from someone, that there's things they're not sharing. And that's the thing to me that makes me trust them less. So when people are open and vulnerable with the challenges and what they've learned, I trust them because I see that they're evolving as a person and evolving as a company. If we never talked about anything that we learned from, we would probably still be the company that we were nine years ago. And we're way better than that now because we're open about our challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, um, I actually was interviewed, <clears throat> excuse me. I was interviewed from an editor for founder magazine. You've heard of founder. Yeah. yeah. And it was a very vulnerable piece. Uh, and I was telling her a lot of the challenges that my company Imagine Ovation went yeah. through and, we went up and down, you know, one year we lost over a million dollars and then we went up 2.3 million. And then it was just, it was, um, it, I was talking a lot about even finances and operations and yeah. just things that people really keep to themselves. They don't want to disclose any of that. Right. And yeah. just different, different challenges that I experienced and, you know, paying ourselves a thousand dollars a month for the first three to four years of starting the company. And, you know, it, you go through it. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, people need to understand that you're going to invest your time, effort, and money, resources into other people. At the end of the day, even if, it's, even if you're gonna buy a product, you're still, you're, you're purchasing or buying that product to serve your customers, right? So at the end of the day, it's about the end user, it's about people. And I think sometimes we forget that. We're so stuck in, making money and generating results and then yeah. we forget the human aspect of of business and about why we're actually doing this like why are we even here sometimes yeah. you know yeah. it's good to go back to that why and understand that at the end of the day people are not going anywhere it's not going to be robots yeah there might be some robotic you know ai for example yeah. there's going to be a lot of automation things happening but uh, people are not going to go anywhere you know yeah. so um we need to we need to really grasp that and allow that to be a part of our 
company's culture yep. and the way we operate uh, mentally and, and just the way we run a business. Yep. That yep. is so aligned with the vision that I always share with the team, which is that we can be a company that is financially healthy because we put our people first and deliver great results for clients. So it's, yes, we want to be a financially healthy company. That's important. We want you all to have jobs and good paying jobs. We don't think we can do that unless we put our people first. And so that is so key to being successful as a company. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, Kelsey, for content marketing or even marketing in general, where do you see it headed? Yeah. I know we talked about storytelling. I think that's going to continuously evolve mm -hmm. and that's yep. going to be a, a huge part of, of its, its future and its growth. But is there anything else that you see as the future of, of digital marketing, content marketing? Yeah, I think that one thing that has been kind of a trend for the last couple of years that I think is going to just continue even more um, is this idea that all of your marketing elements have to be working in conjunction. So I feel like, you know, we are a content marketing company. We don't manage our clients' social media. We don't run their events. Mm -hmm. The more and more we're realizing we have to be working with the people who do because it all plays into each other. And I think there's still some, especially big companies that have the different types of marketing so siloed that they lose out on a lot of the kind of compounding effects of having everything following this one strategy. So that's something that I think even smaller companies, a lot of them are not documenting and putting together a comprehensive content marketing strategy. It's let's do a blog post here, a white paper here. Hopefully we'll get some good SEO rankings. Um, so make, making things a lot more comprehensive and strategies working in conjunction, I think is one aspect. Um, the other, I think we're going to see a lot more of a focus on companies' blogs turning more into like industry publications. Mm. So we used to have clients who would say, oh, we want your help with our blog. And when we looked at their current blog, it'd be like a product update and a post about the company picnic. And like, this is great, but who's the audience for this? Is it just your current customers or your current employees? And so now looking at, and I think your blog is a good example of this, the blog being an educational resource for people in the industry, some of which might become clients of yours, but really operating it like this is a publication to educate people, not just to bring us leads. And I think those end up actually bringing in more business in the long run. Uh, I love it. I, I always tell this to my marketing team. I always say, guys, when we're going to write a, a piece a, a blog piece on our website for the week, let's just say, say, forget about lead generation. Yeah. Don't even make that your intention. We we can optimize it. We can optimize the blog. We will, you know, distribute it, republish it, repurpose it, all of that yeah. uh, to, uh, you know, to reach and drive traffic to the blog. And but let the blog do the work. Let mm -hmm. the blog provide a lot of purpose and value and education, yeah. insight, even even to the point where it's inspirational to them. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it comes back to our intentions. Right. Our motives before yeah. writing something before running a business, right? It comes down to that why. And that, yeah. I, I think that gives a lot of, that portrays a lot of powerful emotions to the person reading it. They're like, yeah. wow, I really love this. Who is this company? And yeah. then yeah. say, oh, I want this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's what I've experienced. It's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. And I would say in that same vein, we talk about like, 
give away the secret sauce. Like we talk about everything that we do in our blog. There's no, we tell clients, like if you want to, we are literally giving you the framework to go do this for yourselves. We still think you should hire us because it's going to take you a ton of time, money, resources. You're not going to do it as well, but we will teach you. You can use our blog and literally learn how to do everything that we do because that is truly what is being educational to those in your industry. Love it. Love it. You're, you're, you're dropping a lot of jewels today. <laughs> dropping a lot of bombs. Kelsey. Well, this is fun. We definitely oh, love it. are on the same wavelength. It is. It is. Absolutely. So, all right. So to, to close things off here, I always ask one final question. Okay. Okay. In regards to your story, if you had to define your story, it could be your career. It could be life. I'll let you choose. Yeah. How would you define your story in one word? In one word. Oh. Curious. Mm. Curious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> why, did um, you, why did you choose curious? Just just uh because I think I'm that one, <laughs> Yeah, one one thing that has been key to the success that I've had thus far is I am just a very curious person. I don't have one specific expertise area that I'm just great in. I just want to learn a lot about a lot of different areas. And I think that that has been key to running a business, key to working with so many different clients, key to being able to scale and manage a team because I'm curious about people. Um, so, you know, I, I've done a few interesting things and it's all just because I'm really curious and I want to keep learning and educating myself. That's, that's so cool. I love it. I, I don't think I've had that one word on the podcast yet. Yay! I love hearing awesome. stuff. I always, sometimes I hear, I mean, my one word is perseverance. Yeah. So that, that's mine, but I've heard perseverance. I've heard success. I've heard, you know, all these different, different uh, words, but yeah, never curious. I was like, hey. I'm curious to hear about, about why you chose that. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So Kelsey, this has been, um, I mean, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you. And, and um, I'm, I'm really thankful and, and humbled that, you've taken the time to speak with me today and well, thank can, you so much yeah absolutely um so where can everyone find you your website your you are your, your uh, social media yeah our website is influence and co and spelled out um dot com um our uh twitter is influence ampersand so influence and co with ampersand and then um, i'm on linkedin kelsey raymond and yeah happy to connect with anyone well, everyone, check out this episode. I think you're going to really find a lot of value uh, and inspiration from it. So I really appreciate everything, Kelsey. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, this is your host, Michael Giorgio on Tales from the Pros. And until next time. Thanks, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here, but uh, we really appreciate it guys. Thanks for all the support and I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously and we look forward to seeing you soon.